We are in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, you want to go to the book of Galatians. We are in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, we've looked at Galatians in light of uh, the first two chapters are about the man, Paul. The second two chapters will be about the message, the gospel. And then the, the five chapters 5 and 6 will be about the manner of life, how we live our lives. In this passage of Scripture, I noticed I am always doing these alliterations and stuff. I saw three R's. And one was um, revelation, and the second R then was right hand, and then the third R, the third R was remember. And I'm trying to get myself going here. There we go. Remember. So a bit of review, just so we remember where we're at with Paul. Paul's writing this letter to the churches in this region called Galatia. He has went there previously and shared the gospel. And God has opened up eyes and ears and hearts and people have responded in faith to the gospel message. And, and they start to gather up in these pods. And, and Paul and Barnabas come back through after a bit and, and he, he provides spiritual leadership for those groupings of Christians, brand new Christians that are together. What has happened though is once Paul has left, there have been a, another group called the Judaizers who have come in behind him. And they've come in behind them saying, yeah, what Paul said was good, but there's a little bit more you need to know. And, and the little bit more is basically this, is that if you're going to become a Christian, first you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And Paul is hearing this and hearing this report and he's writing back to them and saying, no, <laughs> no. His soapbox, Paul's soapbox, somebody's going to have to move this for me. It's not moving. Paul's soapbox is Christ alone. Do not add anything to our salvation but Christ alone. If we add anything to it, if we, we diminish what was done on the cross, we say what we're saying is what he did was not sufficient enough. Therefore, we have to do a little bit more to make it sufficient. And to that, Christ, or Paul stands on his soapbox and says, Christ alone. So a little bit of a review. So Paul goes through, and last week, and it will happen this week and the next week, Paul starts to explain his whereabouts. So he tells them, I was in Damascus. And then I went to Arabia, then I came back to Damascus, then I came down to Jerusalem, then I went back north again. So he tells them everywhere he's been. Then he tells them his whoabouts. He says, when I was down in Jerusalem, I met with Peter for 15 days and James, the brother of, of, of our Lord, but no one else other than that. So he tells them the whoabouts. And then he says the who notabouts, the people he did not see. And specifically the ones that he didn't see were all the other Christians that were in churches down in the southern region of Judea. And then he ends it this way. He says, but the whatabouts is that they were, it was circulating that there was this man named Paul, Saul, who used to persecute the Christians, but he is now a Christian proclaiming Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. That's what's circulating in these churches. And the initial response to that message was praise to God, glory to God. 
Now, this is Paul's third time of emphasizing the gospel. Every paragraph, every section that we have went through, he has made mention of the gospel. And you will see it again in this passage. So let's keep going forward. This is going to help. All right, there we go. Verse 1. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Um, so now it's, you know, it's like those movies. You watch the movie and then it says on there, three months later. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. 14, months, 14 years later, 14 years later, after he went to Jerusalem the first time, three years later, and met with Peter, he says, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem. Now, he goes to Jerusalem a few times. One of them is the gift, we call it the gift trip. It's where they find out that there is quite a need in Jerusalem. There's a famine. There's the, the Christian church is suffering. And all the Christian churches to the north start to gather up resources. And, and Paul and Barnabas are headed back there. And so it's the gift trip where they're taking this gift back to these people that are in need. A second trip he takes is the council trip. And that's in Acts chapter 15. And that's a trip where the church leaders get together specifically to talk about this one issue that he's dealing with right now with the Galatians. The one issue that it is Christ alone, Christ alone. Verse 2, he says, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. So now he goes to a, he says, I'm doing this because of a revelation. He had already said once in chapter one, verse 12 of a revelation, but it was a revelation from Jesus Christ. He got the gospel from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ unveiled, uncovered the gospel for him to understand it and to respond to it. This one is uh, one that we find in Acts chapter 11, where there was a revelation. There were some prophets that came down from Jerusalem and Agabus is his name, said that there will be a famine. There will be a, a, a drought. There will be a, a hard time for the churches in the south. <clears throat> and because of that revelation, that's why they started gathering up all these gifts. And so here is Paul. He's following that, that revelation. It puts him down in Jerusalem. But while he is there, he talks to them. And he says, who's them? Well, in verse 6, it says, for those who seem to be important, so whoever them are, are important. And then if you jump to verse 9, it says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars. So we know at least that them includes Peter, James, and John, but also most likely it's going to include the apostles, the rest of the apostles that are there. And he takes this opportunity when he's delivering this gift to meet with those men privately and share with them, this is what I'm sharing with the Gentiles. This is the gospel message I am sharing up north with the Gentile believers. Now, he's not doing that to, um, to, to like, like find out if it was okay. <laughs> no, he stands on this no matter what. But he's saying that to verify so that he under, they understand and he understands that they have a united message. They have a unified message that is going out. That when he says the apostles say, he's speaking of himself also, but the apostles say Christ alone, Christ alone. 
Um, and, and one side point here to deal with the R, uh, that little revelation, that nudge, I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit is in work in our lives also. And sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you a nudge. And I really want to encourage you to follow that nudge. It's important to act upon a need. To really be sensitive that, that if God places something before you, that you really, why did God put this in front of one of his children? To act in some way, shape, or form. To reach out to that need. To pray for that need. It could come in many, many different forms, but for us as Christians to realize that, wait a minute, the, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And so when he brings you upon a situation, you have to stop and say, why did he bring this before me? And look for a way to respond. Look for a way to respond to that need. Okay, verse three. He goes on to say, uh, yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The them, the leaders, Peter, James, and John, the them did not stress Titus to be circumcised to be saved. See, that's the message that was going out that was coming after, P after Paul was, wait a minute, no, not just Christ alone. You have to also be circumcised. You have to become a Jew. And so what Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia no, the apostles, Peter, James, and John, at least, Peter, James, and John, I have Titus right here with me. He's a Greek. He's a Gentile. And they did not say to him, oh, by the way, you need to get circumcised. He, they did not stress that. So Paul is addressing the deserting in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where he says, I'm astonished. I'm blown away. I marvel that you have walked away from the true gospel that has been given to you. Let's keep going. Verse four, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. Infiltrated, there were those that had come in, were watching Paul's every move, everything that he was doing. Verse six, uh, verse five, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Here's the second sighting of him saying the gospel again. But on this point, Paul would not budge. If they were coming in and saying that there was something else that you needed, he would not budge. No. Even in the face of opposition, even in the face of, 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 of that happening, no, I will not budge on this. It reminds me of a, this, this issue of Christ alone has been with us a long time, a long time. It's not something new. There's always been people trying to add to the gospel, trying to say that you, you need this or you need this or you need this. And, and sometimes, um, because we have so many groups out, out there, we try to bring the groups together, you know, it, that sounds really noble. It does. It, it sounds really great and stuff like that. But we always have to remember, we have to bring them together on Christ alone. And so there was a um, group of theological leaders who were ecumenical, that they were trying to get together, and, and this topic came up. And they and were trying to say, well, wait a minute, we, you know, yeah, you guys are Christ alone, but we are Christ alone plus something. Can't we just, can't we work together? And 
and, and one of those theologians, it's, it's told, got up on the table, got right up on the table and crawled on the table in front of each person and said, Christ alone. Oh, he would not budge. And, and, and we need to remember that we, we do not budge. There's certain things we do not budge on. And the one thing that we do not budge is the same thing, Paul, that it's Christ alone. So verse 6, and, and remember, he's speaking to these Christians back in Galatia. He's, he's saying, I want to give you information um, why you can stand on the gospel as it was given to you. I want to give you information of why you can stand on that and not go with this other message. Verse 6, as for those who seem to be important, uh, whatever they were makes no difference to me. It's kind of like a side note, he says. No matter whatever makes no difference to me, God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. So again, you're receiving this letter and you're, you, he's saying, why have you turned? Why have you went this, to this different gospel? And he's saying part of his argument is they didn't compel Titus to get circumcised. And when I told them the gospel that I'm sharing with the Gentiles, they did not add anything to it. They didn't say, oh yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they didn't do any of that. They didn't add anything to the message. They were unified on this. And that little side note that he, that he gives in there, you know, whatever that makes no difference to me, that they seem to be important makes no difference to me. Uh, God does not judge by external appearance. I put down here, some, shepherd, some are shepherds, but all are sheep. Some people are called by God to be shepherd the flock. Some are called in certain specific situations to be shepherds of the flock. But they are also sheep at the same time. They don't cease to be sheep. And so we can look at and realize that, wait a minute, yeah, I stand up here and I preach and everything else, but I am no more important than any of you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you the Holy Spirit. God has given you gifts and abilities that you have to be able to use for him. And, and there should be no partiality that we are all sheep. He just taps some of us on the shoulder to say, I need you to be a shepherd of these sheep kind of thing. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 7, here's the third and fourth sighting of the gospel. On the contrary, they saw that I had been given the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been given the task of preaching the gospel to the Jews. So it's almost got like this divide and conquer. They looked at this scenario that he was able to take the gospel to the Gentiles as a good thing. Wow, the Great Commission is, being, is happening. He told us to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and we're seeing it played out. So divide and conquer. And Peter and Paul are on equal footing here. Just as Peter, just as Paul. Now, the next verse, play it again, Sam. He's going to say it again. Verse 8, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So he, he says it again. A second time he says it. And Paul is always pointing us to God. He's saying, wait a minute, I don't want you to forget that the reason this is happening is for God, because of God, because God is in this. I think I, all the way back to the very first verse of the book, 
Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His whole mission is because of God. He keeps pointing us back to him. And then verse 9, let's do three times the charm. He's going to say it one more time again. Verse 9 says, James, Peter, and John, who reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to go to the Jews. So a third time, he says, he says it three hand times. And here's our second R. He says the right hand of fellowship. They offered the right hand of fellowship. What it means, a solemn act of partnership signifying acceptance, agreement, and trust. So Peter, James, and John, and assumably the rest of the apostles, reached out to Paul and Barnabas and offered the right hand of fellowship. We are united. But what are they united around? The gospel, Christ alone. That's what they're united around. Sometimes we say that when members come into a church and they, and they go through the membership process and everything, and we say, we offer the right hand of fellowship. We say that phrase kind of thing. It's saying that you are a part of us. You're officially a part of this family, this local body, this local body in which we will minister to one another and we will care for one another and we'll be accountable to one another and we will share the message, the central message of Christ alongside of one another, right hand of fellowship, right hand of fellowship. Then verse 10, verse 10 says, all they ask was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So this last part here, uh, Paul, acknowledging Paul is already doing this. He is already remembering the poor. Continue to do that. Remember the poor. Why is he there on that trip? He's bringing all these resources down from the north to the south to remember the poor that are there. And I I gave you some verses there, um, but I only want to go to one of them, 2 Corinthians, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to hear of one of those scenarios, one of those scenarios about remembering the poor. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So this is a different group of churches, Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So this, these churches are in great trial and they're in great poverty. They are very, very poor, but they well up with rich generosity. So it seems the opposite. It seems like, oh, if we've got a lot, we can give a lot. Okay. But he's saying they don't have much, and they're given tremendously. So it goes on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. So Paul sees what they're going to give to help with this gift that goes down to Jerusalem, and he's going, okay, that, this amount would be what I would expect them to give. In the situation that they are in, this is, this is where I think they would give kind of thing. But they are giving beyond that. They're giving beyond that. So much so, the next verse, 
they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So they're offering this and bringing it to Paul, and Paul's going, eh. he's, he's like, eh, I'm not sure. Like, like maybe you, you guys don't have to give that much. You don't have to give that much. You get, you, no, if you give this much, I think that's, that's plenty. There's other people out there they can give. You just give this much it, because take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself. If you do that, this is going to happen kind of thing. Now, I'm throwing a whole bunch of words in Paul's mouth right there. But they had to ur plead urgently to him. They had to say to him, please take this. There must have been some resistance for them to say, please take this amount. He goes on to say, and they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Why were they able to give more than what was expected? Is because they went to the Lord. That's where their motivation was, is that we serve a God who provides everything that we absolutely need. Sometimes that looks different than what's in your head, but he provides everything that you need. And they went to the Lord and said to Paul, take it all, because God will take care of us. God will take care of us. The last part there, um, so we urge Titus, uh, seeing that he had earlier made a beginning there, uh, to bring also the completion of this act and grace on your part. I want to end with a story here, because I, I put down there, am I eager, and that word eager means with haste, to do this too. Am I eager to remember the poor? Most likely, if you are, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to go to the Lord because we are all selfish. That's our nature, is to be selfish. And we're going to have to go to the Lord to say, Lord, you direct me. Now, and I, I want to pull this out of financial things because you usually think just fi poor financially. Yes, that is there. Yes, that is there. But people can be poor in other ways in which we need to give of ourselves to whatever that need is. It was in the church plant, and uh, we were making a change. In, well, we were developing our, our leadership structure. We spent an, a year on this. Everybody voted on it. I kind of had in the back of my head, though, you know, when we get down to that Sunday, when we switch this over, I still think there's going to be people that are, don't understand it. And, and yeah, it was. And within the next month, there was $40,000 that walked out of the building. And our leadership team got together saying, what do we do? Well, the natural thing you do when, when, when there's a reduction is you say, well, we need to cut here, and we need to cut here, and we need to cut here, and we need to do this and that, and adjust and all. That's, that's a natural thing to do. And, and like, we were a brand new church, so we didn't have really like a missions program established, you know, missionaries that we were supporting all the time. So one of the areas that was easy for us to say, hey, well, you know, <laughs> we need to cut back on anything we do in missions because, I mean, we're hurting ourselves kind of thing. But I am so thankful that we went to the Lord. And we said, wait a minute, we're going to come back to a congregation and we're going to say, please continue to be faithful in your giving here. And if you can be even more faithful, that's great kind of thing. But we looked at ourselves and said, 
are we going to be faithful with what God brings in? And so our decision was, our decision was that every offering that would be taken, we'd take 10% of that offering and we put in a fund over here. And every Sunday, we put 10% of the offering into that fund. And at the end of each month, we would find a mission. If it was local or if it was global, wherever it was, and we gave all that money away. And I see at this point, you're like, that doesn't work that way. Wait a minute. We've got less money and we're giving more away. How does that work? I don't know. Just God makes it work. And the end of this story is... Um, At the end of the 12 months, we gave away over $40,000. And we had a mortgage on the building. It was different than, it wasn't with a bank. It was with the church and all the funds went back into it. And so there's a little bit of flexibility there that they would offer unto us. But we made every mortgage payment, every interest payment through that whole time. And I don't say that to puff myself on the back or anything because that did not come from me. That came from somebody else in the group. And it touched us to say, we need to go to the Lord. We need to go to the Lord and have him supply the need. Have him help us to give, remember the poor, wherever it is, wherever it is. So I'll ask if, let's bow our heads in prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to go through this scripture we know this is a letter of, of Paul, so he's not done speaking about this. Next week, we'll, we'll hear a little more from Paul in how he is helping these Christians in Galatia, these brand new Christians in Galatia, not to be steered to the right or the left, but to keep on Christ alone. And so, Lord, um, help us as we see how important this is to the message of the gospel. We ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.